Hey everybody, Pastor Gary here. I'm super excited <clears throat> to be continuing today in our series on destroying anxiety. Sorry, we're having a little technical difficulties with the stream on the website. It's available through Facebook and YouTube right now, but the stream on the website, for whatever reason, isn't working. I just realized. I apologize. Um, so we're going to continue our series on destroying anxiety. Now, I can remember right after my brother died, I was given a book. It was entitled, Why Do Good Things, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Please don't ask me if it was a good book or if it actually helped. Because you see, I never actually read it. It may have been an amazing book, but at the time, I wasn't ready to read it. The question the book raises, however, is a good one. Why is it that bad things happen to good people? Perhaps you know someone right now who is going through a particularly difficult period in their life. Or perhaps that's you. If it is, know this. You are in good company. Jesus was crucified for trying to show people the way to God. The apostles were all martyred for preaching Jesus, other than John, that is. I remember just a few years ago, during the last major Ebola outbreak that spread to America, there were doctors who left their homes, their families, and their practices to travel to the heart of the outbreak in order to help save lives. There was a group of these doctors who were kidnapped and murdered trying to save people from a terrible end. Why does God allow these men and women who are doing good to be martyred for their beliefs and their desire to do what is right? The answer to this question is simple to understand and at times hard to accept. But when we do, the truth to the question, why do bad things happen to good people, can help us to combat anxiety in our lives every day. Today, that is the question that Paul is going to answer for us. The question isn't directly asked or answered in our passage, but it is at the heart of what Paul is getting at. So let's look at today's passage and place in our holster another weapon in combating our struggle against anxiety. Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 through 18, the first part of 18 that is. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has come, become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Now most letters during this time period followed the greeting with a brief statement as to how the writer was doing. Paul follows this pattern, but yet again with a slight twist. He writes in verse 12, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The Philippian church had sent Epaphrodites with a gift to aid in the care of Paul and to find out how he was doing. 
they knew that he had been imprisoned, and they knew <clears throat> that any imprisonment at any time could end Paul's life, and so he sought to allay their fears. And most letters during this time would have stated something along the lines, I am fine, warm and well fed. But Paul states that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul's focus in life is not upon himself. It is on Jesus and Jesus alone. Whatever state that Paul may find himself, so long as he is there, for the sake of the gospel, all is well. Because it is what God intended. This is Paul's state of mind. This is not an easy place for many of us to get, nor in the midst of trials and tribulations to see them as bringing glory to God and aiding in the spread of the gospel of Jesus. Paul continues in verse 13, and he writes, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Those who have placed Paul in chains at the behest of the local authorities have to realize that ultimately, it is not the local authorities who placed him there, but rather it is his commitment to Jesus Christ that has placed him in prison. It is Paul's view that he is a slave to Christ and therefore must do whatever Jesus requires of Paul, and so that Paul might bring glory to his God. Let's not take this passage beyond what it is meant to say. It does not say that the whole of the palace guard became believers. If that were the case, I believe that would have been clearly stated. What Paul is saying is that the way in which he is living his life, it is readily apparent to anyone who takes the time to look who it is that he truly serves as Lord and Master over his life. Military men, in particular during this time, would have had no problem seeing one who can do nothing other than follow the order of his commander-in-chief. And this is what they see in Paul. Jesus gave the order and Paul will follow through regardless of the outcome or cost. It is his obedience to his Lord that is important. If we can begin to live our lives in this way, that we will take time to listen to God and then follow through regardless of the consequences, then God himself will calm our anxious moments. Because we will see that the situation is not of our own making, but it is the result of a sovereign God at work bringing glory to himself. This is the mindset of a follower of Jesus. This is the mindset that we need to work at cultivating within each of our lives. This is the mindset that we need to encourage in one another daily. Why? Because the days are evil, and Jesus has called us to be light in the midst of the darkness. In verse 14 we read, Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Anxiety is the antithesis to courage and fearlessness. Those that are present with Paul and are now seeing his unwavering commitment in the face of possible death are encouraged and become fearless in their proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes God needs to send to us an example of fearless faith so that we might see how to walk courageously before him. This is how God is using Paul in the lives of the believers around him while he is imprisoned. This is one of the reasons I love to do character profiles of biblical characters. Not that they're perfect, but that we can see God at work in their lives in order to bring himself glory through their lives. 
It is also why we should spend time every so often looking at those who are right now in our world being persecuted for their faith. If you don't know where to go and find these stories, well, I can help. Persecution.org is the website of an organization called International Christian Concern. They seek to be a voice in the darkness for Christians all across our world who are currently being persecuted. You can go to their website and read stories of courage in the face of persecution. Another good resource is a book that I turn to frequently. I have never read it from beginning to end. Instead, I choose to read specific stories from within the book. I have read most of them several times, and I have found specific ones that resonate within my heart. Those are the ones I turn to when I feel the need arising. The book is called Fox's Book of Martyrs. It tells the stories of men and women who were persecuted and martyred for their faith throughout the history of Christianity. If you choose to pick up the book, I would suggest you also find those stories that God uses to uniquely touch your heart and really spend time getting to know those people well. Use these stories then as a means of encouragement in your life to help you find that courage that is within you to stand firm in the faith of Christ Jesus. In verse 15 through 17, Paul begins this contrast between two groups who are preaching Jesus for very different purposes. In verse 15, Paul begins his contrast and writes, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. All right, I have to admit, when I first read this section, I find it completely perplexing. However, we see similar contrast within the church today. Paul says that there are those who essentially see Paul as the competition in town. How is it possible for anyone to see someone who is willing to proclaim Christ as competition? I have not only seen this, but experienced it firsthand. Pastors today, hearing of a new church coming into town, oftentimes will make statements like, There isn't the need or room in this area for another church. It is also this reason that causes so many churches to fail, to come actually to actually come together and work shoulder to shoulder with one another, effecting real change within the community. Why? Why do we oftentimes think this way, rather than becoming joyful that God has sent more brothers and sisters to join with us in the proclamation of the gospel? I believe a good bit of it is because we more often than not approach church from a business perspective rather than a biblical perspective. And so we put in place specific business models and leadership structures and such in order to facilitate the growth of the local church. I have heard pastors say that the business of Jesus is the making of disciples. The words might be true in a sense, but the words themselves bring problems into the church. It is not Jesus' business model to make disciples and then each of them to make more disciples. We sound like some network marketing plan then, right? This is a way of life, not a business plan, that is meant to bring success. Because if you look at the biblical facts, God doesn't seem to like the stories that define success like the American church defines success. Research has shown that most megachurches actually make very few disciples. They churn out the converts, but produce very few disciples. It is real easy then for smaller churches to look at this research and out of envy and rivalry speak poorly of the megachurch pastors. 
But the question they should be asking is, how well are they truly turning out disciples? The mark of a true disciple is one who raises up more disciples. We'll come back to this point in just a bit. Paul continues with his contrast in verse 16, and he writes, The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The second proclaim the gospel of Jesus out of love for their fellow man, not out of some envy or rivalry they have built up towards Paul. Our motivation for the gospel to go forth is love, pure and simple love. We should love those around us so much that we are unwilling to see them die apart from Christ Jesus because of what comes. That should bring far more anxiety and fear than any chain some men might bring to place us in. To lose a family member or a friend who rejects Jesus is the greatest of all pains. And yet today in America, we are afraid people might not like us anymore, so we fail to preach Jesus. We might lose our jobs. They might just mute us or unfriend us on Facebook. I'm just saying this doesn't quite rise to the level where Paul now finds himself in our letter, does it? Are you helping people see Jesus? Are you preaching Jesus? Paul continues in verse 17 and he writes, The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. This is for me one of the weirdest verses in all of the scriptures. So the first group that is proclaiming Jesus out of envy and rivalry with Paul is now doing so first out of selfish ambition. I wish I could say that this were not a reality for many who choose to become a pastor. I can remember a discussion with a young man while I was at Washington Bible College who said to me that he wanted to become a pastor in order to become rich and famous. My heart was crushed. And I asked him to do everything he could not to be a pastor. I would never encourage anyone to be a pastor. I would discourage all from desiring to be a pastor. I have met several men who wanted to be that guy. Why? I have no idea. It should be seen as the lowliest of positions possible. But nevertheless, there will always be those that seek fame and will seek it at the expense of others. That part isn't the part that I find so weird though. But rather the last part of this verse, Paul says that they preach the gospel supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. I have to be honest, I have no idea how this really works or what this actually looks like. In my mind, I see a bunch of guys that see Paul is moving in on their turf and so they get together and they have a discussion. So the leader of the group says, all right guys, look, I got an idea. Paul's in prison facing the possibility of death because he preaches Jesus just like us. So let's preach Jesus a lot more and that will really rile up the local authorities and perhaps then they'll choose to put him to death. What do y'all think? Any questions? No good, because I don't have any answers. Let's get out there and preach Jesus to the destruction of Paul. I mean, how do you really get there? This is just so odd in my mind, but this is exactly what is happening to Paul. Talk about anxiety. The one thing that Paul sees himself in prison to the gospel of Jesus Christ is now being used against him as a means of punishment. How does this even work? Paul's response to this in verse 18 is so important for the church to hear today. He writes, But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, 
whether from false motives or true. Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Who cares what these yahoos are doing, right? They're simply accomplishing Paul's mission. How cool is that? God is so sovereign over all things that even those that see Paul as an enemy are being used by Jesus to proclaim and spread the gospel of Jesus. God is sovereign over everything. There is nothing that happens within this world apart from God's ultimate power acting over it. If we as believers can take on the mindset of Paul as slaves of Jesus and follow after Jesus in all things, then and only then we will find joy in the midst of our suffering. Because when we live our lives like this and we see life through the lens of the gospel, we will see things very differently. God is working all things for our good and for his glory. But we need to begin to shift our perspective off of ourselves and onto Jesus. Every morning, our first thoughts should be of Jesus. As we look at work, we should ask God to show us where and how he is at work in our midst. He will show us. He is always at work, and he loves to show his children the light that he is shining in the darkness. He will open our eyes so that you might see. You simply have to ask. It is this reason that Paul is able to say that whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice, he says. I know that it is not easy to get to this point in our lives. It takes a lot of effort on our part. It requires us to read the scriptures daily, to spend purposeful periods of time in prayer. We must be deliberate in our own growth as a disciple to follow after Jesus. We are first and foremost disciples of Jesus Christ. The church has been called to, become, to come alongside Jesus and birth new disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 17 through 20, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We have been called to go into this dark world with the light of Jesus and to proclaim him alone so that the light of Jesus might cause rebirth in the lives of those who are lost and far from him. When this happened, the life of a disciple begins and the church is called to then baptize them and to teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded us. When we do this, Jesus is with us, he says. Paul knew this and clung to that truth so that in the midst of imprisonment, he is able to find joy rather than suffer the weight of anxiety. So what? How do we form this perspective? First, we need to begin to see ourselves as slaves to Jesus. I said this last week, and I'm going to say it a lot through this series. He is our master. We are his servants, meant to follow his commands and not ours. When we live our lives like this, we will begin to see those stressful times in life as his sovereign work in our lives. And he will do this for a few reasons. First and most important, he will do so to spread the gospel of Jesus. Second, he may lead us into certain situations for our growth as a disciple to test us in order to see us grow so that, he will, so that we will see his faith within us shine before us. Finally, God can and does lead us into certain situations in order to bring correction. 
We need to ask God at all times what he is doing in our lives, and we need to be prepared to hear his answer and respond rightly. When we do, we will see an almighty God at work for our good and for his glory. This perspective will help us to not be anxious in those times, because they are the work of God in our lives, right? again, for our growth, for our good, and for his glory. Second, we need to encourage one another. We need to encourage one another to walk this way. Hebrews chapter 3 verses verse 13 says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sins, deceitfulness. We need to see that not only do we bring the light of the gospel to the lost, but we also bring the light of the gospel and the glory of the Lord into the lives of believers all around us. And we need to use that as a means to encourage one another. It is so easy to let the world the world, weigh us down and cause us to become hardened in our hearts to the Lord. When we do this, we will stop hearing His voice. We will stop following after Him. We will start looking no different than the world. There will become around us a cloud of darkness from which the gospel dimly shines. We will become a target for Satan, and he will attack. And when he does, anxiety will overwhelm us. Courage will flee, and we will lose the battle before us. But God, God through the church and the believers within the church offer a beacon of hope and healing to all those who are in need. We need to let that light shine brightly from our lives into the lives of everyone around us, especially the church. Because then we will find courage and we will act fearlessly and we will be an instrument of grace in the hands of our Redeemer and we will see the anxiety in someone else's life destroyed. Sometimes we need to look beyond our own four walls, for example, of faith. For examples of faith in the midst of trying times as a beacon of hope. Hebrews 11 is a great place to start. These men and women are all champions of the faith, and they are champions not because they showed amazing faithfulness toward God. <clears throat> they became champions, heroes of the faith, because God was 100% faithful towards them. I would also suggest reading stories of men and women today who are facing persecution. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8-9 through 9 reads, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. There is nothing you can face that someone else hasn't already faced and overcome. Look to their examples and find encouragement and hope in the midst of those anxious times. I love the word encouragement because right in the middle is the word courage. When we encourage others, we give them the courage to stand firm and overcome whatever stands before them. Sometimes we need to lean on others to find the courage we need to stand firm. If you find yourself there, seek the encouragement that comes through the scriptures through the stories of other believers, and through the church. When you do so, you will find the courage to destroy the anxiety that stands before you. And no matter who stands against us, we need to find a way to give thanks for that person. That person may have evil motives and desires, just as those who stood against Paul. 
But remember, God is always working all things for your good and for his glory, even those who seem to stand against you. They might not even see it as such. Their perspective may be completely different than yours on the matter at hand. Perspective becomes reality. Always remember, <clears throat> always remember that and seek God's perspective on all things and see all things through the lens of the gospel and through eyes tinted by the blood of the cross of Christ. When we do, this world will change and our hearts will break for the lost and the hurting. Then God will begin to use you as an instrument of grace in the hands of our Redeemer. Then he just might use you to help that person destroy the anxiety that is causing them to act out as they are. There are four words Paul uses in this passage to directly combat anxiety. Encourage, courage, fearless, and rejoicing. We need to live our lives by the help of the Holy Spirit within us so that our lives might be a means of encouragement to those around us so that they might have the courage to overcome the anxiety that stands before them. And they will then fearlessly enter the battle and find victory. Then we can, with all the saints, in one voice rejoice over the anxiety that has been defeated in our lives. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you are sovereign over all things. There is nothing that happens within your <clears throat> signed, sealed approval upon it. Help us to rest and find peace and encouragement in that truth. Lord Jesus, fill us with your faith that we might know your courage, the courage that led you to the cross to take upon yourself our sins. Help us to mirror that courage to one another and to this world. And help us to fearlessly declare your name that we might see the lost saved and the hurting healed. Holy Spirit, fill us then with your joy, so that your church might sing praises and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Amen. And now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.